There's so much that happens here throughout the week. It's just, it's an honor to get to be a part of it. And I'm so blessed to get to, to be a pastor here at Harvest Connection Church and just the fun and the activities that, that go on throughout the week, the opportunity for ministries, which you're going to hear about here in just a moment. If you've been with us throughout this series, we talked first about connecting upward and the importance of connecting upward because as we do that, what is revealed to us is that our Father in heaven teaches his children how to look like, how to be like him. And one of the greatest attributes, if not the greatest attribute that God has, our Father has, is that attribute of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. And and that's who his children ought to represent. So we talked about connecting upward, and then we talked about connecting inward, and the importance of listening to the Holy Spirit within us. Many of us don't even recognize the Holy Spirit's voice, and he's constantly and continually teaching and praying and making intercession on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, and we talked about that last week. Go back and listen to that message. That's a powerful message that really impacted my life. We pray continuously this way because he who is in us is constantly praying, and he's constantly making revelation to us if we're willing to listen. Just simply hear his voice. And then today we're talking about the importance of connecting outward. It all comes from Mark chapter 12, verse 29. We use this scripture every week. The most important one, speaking of the commandments, Jesus answered, is this. To love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The power in loving outward. That's the subject today, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus didn't get this backwards. He didn't say to love yourself as you love your neighbor. That'd be dangerous for some, right? Self-love is important, but as we grow in Christ, our self-confidence, our love for others actually increases our own confidence, our own love for ourselves. The real meaning, fulfillment in life is serving others, we, we, we are so self-consumed in our culture today. We're self-consumed with our lives that oftentimes we completely miss what's happening around us. We completely miss the relationships that God is calling us to. Hey, think about this with me this morning. How many of you woke up, don't raise your hands, but how many of you woke up this morning thinking about someone else? How many of you woke up this morning praying for someone else, maybe asking God for a word? If and when I see them at church, I'm going to give them this word. How many of us woke up this morning concerned about the next generation, those children that we saw in front of the stage this morning? Have we prayed for the next generation? Do we see them as our neighbor? They're not necessarily my own children, there's one of them in that bunch. That is. There's two, there's three, there's four of them. But the rest, do we pray for them? And then how many of us woke up this morning and hit the snooze? Obviously, that's not you because you're here, right? Bless God. Bless God. Jesus is sharing a secret in this commandment. When you love others, when you put others first, you will love yourself. Some of you are out there this morning saying, I can't stand myself. I can't stand who lives inside of me. This voice inside of me must not be the Holy Spirit because it does not build up. It simply tears down. 
And many of us have made so many decisions that, that are in opposition to God, in opposition to his word, that some of us feel guilty. We feel shame when we walk in those doors. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. God does not want you to feel that shame. He does not want you to feel that guilt. And what he's saying is, I've got a way. It's not a secret. I'm exposing a huge truth to love your neighbor as yourself. You're trying to love yourself through all these things that you want to obtain, through all these things that you want to get, whether you buy them through monetary means or maybe you just go out and attempt to, to climb that, that career ladder. And God's saying, hey, but you're just concerned about yourself. Let me tell you, that brings guilt. That brings shame because you always come up short. Let me show you the true secret, something, something that I want to reveal to you. Here's a revelation. Go and love. Go and pour in. Be concerned about others. See, next to the Bible, the number one selling books are self-help books. You know that. Ways to love yourself more. How to treat yourself better. From fine wines to manicures and pedicures. You deserve a break today. We live in the wealthiest country in the world. If you make more than $10 a day, according to Pew Research, you are wealthier than 71% of the global population. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the others. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I chose this version instead of saying you cannot serve both God and money. Money fits, but I want to talk about the spirit of money, the spirit of mammon. Mammon goes beyond just money. Mammon is actually a, a self-want, a self-desire that cannot be filled. I know people who have made all kinds of money in this world, and yet they still have not reached fulfillment. Many of you have talked to me about this. You finally made it to the top of your career ladder only to find it's leaning against the wrong wall. Fulfillment wasn't there. It wasn't what I thought. Look, mammon will keep us from serving anyone else but ourselves. What is mammon? It comes from an Aramaic word. That means the spirit of selfish wealth or riches. And the Aramaeans, let me tell you, knew about wealth. Now, their border bordered the Babylonians. So a lot of their thought processes came from the Babylonian empire. It actually leaked across, you might say. Now, what's interesting about mammon, that's what it does. In our culture today, our culture says what? Get more, get more, get more. But people say that we're 20 years behind England. And, and if that's true, that means we're listening to what's bleeding across and over the ocean. Get more. Receive more. You deserve a break today. You deserve the, the manicures, the pedicures. And once you get all that done, then you can be concerned about your neighbor. Oh, but it's bleeding into many other countries. Well, Sweden, you can look at, at what, what, what they stand for today. France, and, and, and just looking at the European uh, and, and, uh, model and, and how all of this is bleeding out. Oh, you, you, instead of working 40 hours or 50 hours a week, work 30. Everyone should make the same. Everyone should be the same. Everyone deserves the same. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus never taught that life was equal. What he taught was... Your responsibility to the gospel can be equal, 
We all have a responsibility to it. The church definitely has a responsibility to hearing what he says about our neighbors. See, the Babylonians, if you remember, they built this huge empire, this huge monument under themselves through their wealth, but they built a temple, and it stated, look at us, we're self-sufficient, we don't need God. And it all came tumbling down. All money has a spirit on it. Mammon says to buy and sell. God says to sow and reap. Mammon says to cheat and steal, but God says to give and receive. But more than anything, mammon wants to rule your thought process. Mammon wants to rule you. Mammon wants to convince you that if you give, you should have held on to it. Blessed are the tight-fisted. Blessed are those who don't give to anyone or anything but themselves. I've never seen that written in Scripture. I've seen, if you want life, give it. There's no greater in the kingdom of God than those who would be willing to serve, right? The Antichrist, think for me just a moment. Over in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist won't allow buying and selling unless you have the spirit of mammon, unless you take on the mark of the beast. Just as Jesus turned water into wine, listen, Satan knows that, that Jesus can turn money into souls, the devil knows we can take the temporal and turn it into the eternal if it's used for God's glory and purpose. Jesus is teaching that we find life by losing it. In other words, it's not in wealth, riches. It's not in consuming things. It's learning the value of caring for others. It's learning the value of stewarding your life because you did not create you and I did not create me and your parents didn't create you. They may have procreated but they didn't create and the grandparents and the lineage goes on and on and on but God had a plan and a purpose for you to steward things in your life and he gives parable after parable teaching after teaching on what this looks like in life that the sower continues to see to sow the seed he never runs out as long as he continues to sow the seed and some of it falls on good soil and others of it falls on not so good soil. But to each one has a responsibility. To each one has the responsibility of stewarding what he or she is given. In Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Oh, man, what a picture. Think about Jesus showing up today. It's Sunday. We're all facing the east. We would see the sun come through these. We would see it come through this window. I mean, it's, it's bright, the light. And he's on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep on his right and the goats. Man, we're about 50-50 in here right now. Some of you right in the middle. Isn't it good that you just can't walk the fence here? You're leaning one way or the other. For, and then he goes on. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What he's saying is, here is the kingdom prepared for those of you who saw the need, who learned to love outside of yourself, who learned to extend the gospel through you for the sake of others. He's saying, look, I've prepared this beforehand for you. That means, look, you didn't create you. 
Right here in this passage of Scripture, he's saying, hey, I created this for you because I knew you were coming. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be here. What a great sign of victory and inheritance. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, when did we see you hungry and feed or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or or when did we see you as a stranger and invited you in clothes and clothed you? When did we see all this, Lord? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who clung to the spirit of mammon. Those who clung to the spirit of mammon. It was all about me, myself, and I, the other holy trinity, right? It was all about getting as much as I could. I wasn't going to release. I wasn't going to give anything. Well, Lord, we didn't see you when you were hungry. We didn't see you when you were thirsty. We didn't see you when, when, when you were a stranger. We didn't know you when you were in prison. And the Lord will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You know, it's a huge warning in Scripture. Church, I believe as we preach the scriptures, people are liberated. This is why church is so, so very important. We don't preach this stuff today in many of the churches, and those churches, by the way, are not thriving because institutions are only concerned with themselves and what's on side. The church is the only organization, and I believe the difference between an organization and an institution is the difference between an organism and an institution. Organisms do what? They reproduce. Institutions grow and eventually die upon themselves. That's why we have to continue to reproduce who we are. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. You guys have probably heard this if you've been around here any time, any length of time. I share Matthew 25 on a regular basis. But, but let's look at this as the church should see it. Let's look at this in the spiritual because it's very easy to see in the natural. Oh, yeah, I remember that time when I was driving down uh, Amarillo Boulevard and there was somebody pulled over on the right and they were broken down and I got out and I helped them. And not only did I help them, they were thirsty. It was 105 degrees. And in Amarillo, Texas, you know the wind was blowing. It was a scorcher and I gave them something to drink. Had a water bottle in there. I drank half of it, but I gave them some, right? It's so easy to put this in the physical and the practical, but I want us to look at it in the spiritual as the church should see it. Watch this. I was hungry, and you preached the word. You gave me spiritual food to consume. I was thirsty, and you invited me to a table where I met Jesus, and Jesus said, drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant. I was a stranger, Jew or Gentile. Didn't matter. Every tongue, tribe, and nation was welcome. I was naked. I was naked. I was exposed in my guilt and in my shame. I didn't feel like I could even come in those doors knowing what I had done in my past. 
My past dictated my future. I didn't know I would ever be born again. I didn't know what a second innocence was about. I was naked when I came into this place. And you clothed me. You told me that I was a child of God. You brought me to Jesus. You preached the word of God. You clothed me in righteousness for his name's sake. I am dressed new. I am washed clean by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I was naked. My children came, and and they too were naked, but you put on them the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. You dressed them for success as warriors for his kingdom. I was in prison. I was in spiritual bondage. I was addicted. Addicted to to drugs, addicted to alcohol. Look, those are common addictions throughout our culture today, but it gets worse. I, more importantly, was addicted to myself and the spirit of mammon. But you, you preached the gospel. I heard the word and my chains fell off. I was in prison, but I have been set free. See, all of this is the church's responsibility. This means to all of us, we are all an equipping station. Mammon will say, I don't want to provide for anyone else. I don't want to grow. I don't want to add to the family. Just keep feeding me. I'm fine with being fat. Dieter Uchtdorf. I know all of you have read his writings. Can you imagine? I mean, some of you just need to be thankful this morning that you don't carry that name. And if you do, come to me afterwards and let's have prayer. You're probably a great theologian, you know, coming from Germany. But anyway, he said, as we lose ourselves in the service of others, we discover our own lives and our own happiness. Mother Teresa put it this way, give your hands to service and your heart to love. Jesus Christ put it this way, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. God loves a cheerful giver. See, if you want to find life, you lose it for his name's sake. And it's there that you find it. How can you love your neighbor? How can we give to them and for them? What would it look like in the church? Well, it's what I just explained, but if you don't believe that one, let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. A professor in the law stood up and said, oh, you're so smart. Watch this. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch Jesus. Jesus sitting there going, hmm, he's heard that somewhere. Hmm? Over in Mark, it's Jesus who says it. But right here in Luke, this man answers this way, and he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, oh yeah, well, I've heard you say this. Who is My neighbor, let's just see how smart you are and watch how Jesus replies. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. There was this man who was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That also means, church, that he was half alive. A priest happened to be going down and went away 
or I'm sorry, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look, and he told the innkeeper, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love this, that, that the man simply told the innkeeper, hey, and when I return, he didn't say if I return. This is a promise that Jesus gives to each one of us. He says, hey, in all that that you've given, all of that, how you've expanded yourself, I want you to know that I've got an inheritance for you. It's not lost. It's not wasted. It's eternal. Do you know, whether it's finances, whether it's the giving of ourself, whether it's the loving of our neighbor, whether it's the bandaging of our neighbor, whether it's introducing them to Jesus, whether it's serving back here in Kid City, maybe it's opening your house to a stranger through life groups. Did you know that all of that is eternal work? It's not temporal. You want a family that lasts forever? Yes. Look around. This is who you get. Okay, you know, you're real excited about that, are you? But we get the best of them, the best of them. You see, Jesus is making a point, and I believe these are three ways to love your neighbor. First, learn to pray for them. Sometimes we don't even see our neighbor, much less know them, because we're no, no longer around. Now, when we talk about neighbors, many of us are thinking about our next-door neighbor, but your neighbor could be that person in work. Your neighbor or that, that person on the side of the road may, may simply be uh, someone that's at your school, someone that's in your profession, someone that God is calling you to. And that's why we begin through prayer. Who is that, Lord, in my life? See, if I was thinking about my next-door neighbor, she's a sleep therapist. We're on opposite schedules. She's up all night. I'm sleeping at night. I would like to ask her at some point in time, how can I sleep better? Do one of those studies on me, and will it come with a mattress? But still... Right, But he's saying, no, 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 specifically, when we yearn for God, when we connect upward to God and inward to what the Holy Spirit says, he will reveal to us that neighbor. And here's the thing. When we pray to God to put those in our paths that we need to help, he is faithful to do so. He's faithful to give us the opportunity for an invitation. Many are hungry. Many are naked, thirsty, strangers, lost, and in bondage. Those we need to bandage are out there. We need to help them. We need to lift them up. We need to call the champion out in them. The harvest is plenty is what Jesus says, but the workers are few. Workers are people who give of themselves. You won't find a worker that's not a giver. They're not out there. People who are willing to work are, even if they're padding their own pockets, they're given to the man Right? They, they know how to work hard. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. The Lord will show us who in need we need to care for and how. And it can be individual or corporately. When we talk about our neighbors, they could be in our backyard or across the pond. Every tongue, tribe, and nation 
God wants to come into his household. The next thing I would say is learn to go to them. Verse 34, the Samaritan went to him. He didn't wait until the man, man made eye contact with him. He didn't wait until the man started to crawl towards him. He went to him. He saw that he was hurting. He had been robbed. He had wounds, and he went to him. He didn't avoid him. The first two do what? Even the priest said, the scripture says that he went to the other side of the road, and he said, hmm, I'm not getting in that mess. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how much time, energy, and effort that's going to take? Look, some of us know people that have messes like that, right? And you go, hmm, I'm going to pray for that. <laughs> that's why we start with prayer. Because it's difficult, church, sometimes to tie in with our neighbor, to carry our brother's burdens. But God calls us to them. He says, don't walk on the other side of the road. Go to them. And so it's a command of God that, that we go to these that don't look like us. The Samaritan was different from the first two that he was talking about. These men were, were he's making a point with the Samaritans. The Samaritans have nothing to do with the Jews. Oh, but you don't want to cross that border. You don't want to cross that boundary, that statement of faith, that statement of belief. What would it look like if you did? God is there awaiting you see, he saw that this man was hurting, that he had been robbed, and that's what mattered. He had wounds, and he went to help him. The Scripture reminds us that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So learn to go to that coworker, go to that fellow student, go to that shelter, go to that brother or sister, to that neighbor. Learn to go, and then notice the third and final point this morning is give to them. Give of your energy, your effort, your time. Learn to bandage their wounds. What you will find out is that many during the time of Jesus, if they were taking a donkey, if they were taking a camel, they oftentimes had a first aid bag, what we would call a first aid kit in their suburban. And as they would go through, it was really for themselves. Because oftentimes this road that he's talking about, the Jericho Road, oftentimes had robbers that were sitting on the side. And if you were beaten up and, 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 and you were bleeding, then you would have the stuff with you to help bandage yourself. This guy didn't have the stuff to bandage himself. He was half dead. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you have the stuff. You have the opportunity, and, and, and give it to them. See, he used his own donkey to carry the man to the shelter. He stayed with him overnight, and before he left, he made sure the man would be cared for. He even st stated, look after him, and when, not if, I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Whatever it costs, here is enough to cover it. Remember, Jesus states, as truly as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And here's the truth. All of us in this room are here because someone said, whatever it costs, clothe her. Whatever it costs, feed her. Visit her. Deliver her. Invite her. Set her free. Don't pass her by. Someone said, let's connect outward with them because they are worth it. Someone said, let's provide a seat, a chair, a space for them so that in my father's house, there will be room enough for them to eat as well. Church, we must not follow to the spirit of mammon, the spirit of me only. Churches are closing every day because they didn't connect outward. It's just the truth. You don't have to look far. You don't have to look further than two blocks by January 1 here. 
Churches are clothing are, are closing because people didn't hear the gospel in a way that impacted them to say we are the difference makers. I'm no longer trying to make the team. I've got to realize I am the team. And that Jesus has clothed me in righteousness. He has bandaged my wound, wounds. Every single one of us at some point in time have been the one that are laying destitute on the side of the road. And someone came along and said, let me bandage you. Let me pick you up and let me take you to my house. Let me take you to the place where God can minister to you. Yes, if anything, we ought to have a spirit of gratitude this morning. Because someone saw the need and they stepped forward and said, regardless of the cost, let's provide it because they are worth it. You see, every time, every time that someone chooses to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, all those things are what God has called us to, church. It's not just individually, it's corporately. How do we do that here? How does Harvest Connection do that? I've been asked, what's the outreach in the church? The outreach is the inreach oftentimes. And the inreach is the outreach. I mean, how do we feed the homeless? Well, fifth Sunday of every week we feed the homeless. We send money to city church because we know they're doing it on a daily basis. How do we give drink to the thirsty? You know, we've dug many wells throughout Africa through CRF. We've given a lot of money and a lot of funds to dig those wells. And we are believing where there is water, there is life. And that God is going to provide for them. Did you know they say that over in Africa where we drill those wells in Turkana, I believe is. Did I say that right? <laughs> over there that as you drill a well, if you'll just put some kind of little building site, some little meeting place. You'll not only share the gospel with one, but you'll share the gospel with many. So we equip pastors through CRF in order to do that very thing. They come because physically they're thirsty, but they leave having the water of everlasting life, a fountain that never runs dry. How do we clothe or how do we invite the stranger in? Many of you open your homes every single week because we do life together. You open your homes and, and you bring a life group in, a connection group into your house. And you say, you know, I know there's going to be strangers there. There's people here I don't know, but I'm going to offer them the gospel. I'm going to share with them and show with them and teach them and instruct them. And most importantly, equip them for life. I was a stranger and you invited me in. We give clothing. We've been in coat drives. We, we used to provide di diapers and several other infant things. We, we've got a doctor in, in the church right now, a pediatrician, that, that uh, this whole wing before we renovated it where the children are, we used to have part of that in, in storage with all kinds of diapers, all kinds of clothing. All Many of you helped. We supplied that. We packed it because she continually came across the need and said, we've got to extend. We've got to clothe them. Some of these babies don't even have clothing. And you responded. I mean, the sick, hospitalizations, we've helped with medical costs. We've given nets for malaria. We've got a grief recovery group. The interesting thing about the, the, the grief recovery group is that, that, that we may not see that as sickness, but it's, it's like it's deeper than a sickness when you lose someone that close to you. It hurts. It's painful. It's dark. It's, it's light has to come in there. Those who are in prison... How do we do that here in this church? Well, addiction class is one of them. 
I was in prison and you set me free. I know when we started the addiction class years ago, it started here on the east side. And, and the reason it did is because the man who leads that, he said, Curtis, I don't want to announce that. These people are full of shame. They're full of guilt. They, 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 they're full of regret and how they've lived their lives up to this point. I don't want to announce that in church. I don't want any kind of slide. I don't want that in the bulletin. I don't want any more embarrassment or shame for them. I said, well, how are they going to know? He said, you can say it from the pulpit. But they need to know to come in the east door, and we're going to be in the first room. And we're not going to go throughout the church. We're going to be right there because we're going to see deliverance happen. And we've seen many prisoners be set free and chains fall off. See, there have been some of you who don't just come and eat. You not only pay for your meal, but you pay for the meal of others. It's just a few of our outreach programs. But all of us have benefited from them at some point in journey in our life. This is why the church is so dear to Jesus. I hear people say all the time, I don't need church to get to heaven. Really, if you don't want to participate in the kingdom of God here, why would you then? <laughs> Who is the bride of Christ? Is Jesus going to go back to heaven without his bride? It's not going to happen that way. And what he's commanding and what he's calling us to do is to go into all the world and make disciples. Bandage up those who are wounded. Care for those. Sow eternal seed, believing that it will manifest 30, 60, and 100 fold. Because God's word does not return to him void. And the more we live that out in our lives, the more fulfilled our lives become. The church is really made up of givers. We find ways to give the gospel to people around the world, to offer hope to the hopeless. The truth is we have all wound up on the side of the road. We've been beaten up with sin, and the devil has left us for dead. But by the grace of God, someone loved us enough to get us off the road. They brought us into the house and didn't just bandage our wounds, but healed us from them. Are we going to stop there, or are we going to go out and help others find their way home? You will never give to God and it be fruitless. A fruitful life is a giving life. It's a life of simply stewardship. And as we steward that, God returns it for his kingdom 30, 60, and 100 fold. Pressed down, shaken together, good measure. Those are his promises. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to rebuke the devourer in your life. If you're losing, you need to come next week and find out how to win. But one of those ways of winning is just simply to know, give, and it will be given to you. Go out and find those strangers on the side of the road and invite them in and say, we have a place for you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to encourage you, and we're going to call the champion out in you. Church, that's who the church is supposed to be.